0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host Bruce Weiner and his friend and client, Chuck Foz. Good morning and welcome to the show. Good
0: morning, Rachel. You know, uh, people have accused me of being overly excited whenever we have guests, and it's a di- <laughs> it's a different type of excitement today because uh, not only do we have a, a longtime friend and a and a client that really is passionate about what we do and what the money managed does and what he's been exposed to, not only from us but just from his research of everything else that um, we have we have talked about, but we are also now starting to do, <clears throat> excuse me, we're starting to do things now with what, we, what our vision was, was to give people real life examples of how this works. And so Chuck will be the first person that actually comes on the show and kind of talks about how he uses privatized banking, banking in his life to gain control, to build wealth, and to build protection for him and his family along the way. So we're really excited um, about having this conversation and also exposing our listeners to a, a, a new type of podcast.
1: Absolutely. So, Chuck, thank you so much for being here today and for uh, being willing to join us on the show.
2: Well, Bruce and Rachel, I am uh, I am very excited to be here. Uh, thank you for the invite. I'm uh, I've listened to every one of your podcasts. I'm oh big, wow, that's awesome. I am a big uh, Money Advantage fan, uh, and that's just not because I like you guys. It's because I've learned a lot from you both, and. I appreciate what you're doing, and I am, I'm excited to be here and tell my story.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, let's go ahead and jump into that. So tell us just a little bit about who you are as a person outside of your financial story.
2: Sure. Um, well, uh, like Bruce, I live in the St. Louis area. Uh, I don't mind sharing, sharing with you. I'm 58 years old. I've been married to the same great lady, Tracy, for 34 years. We have oh,
1: nice.
2: three adult boys and uh, more importantly, two great grandkids. Uh, time out.
0: Oh. You've been married longer than 34 years. So let's start that again.
1: No. No,
2: I've been married 34 years. <laughs> we got married in 85, so oh, I've been married I'm 34 sorry. years. All right, start again. Okay. <laughs> That's right. I'm we thinking, should just leave that I in. You got married,
0: <laughs> I was thinking you got married right in 83 or 84 while she was still in. No. No, oh, no, You got married '85. But you did get married one year before. Your- I did. You guys did. No, one year before yeah. she graduated. I did. Okay, I did. that's where I got it. Okay, I knew it
2: was before she left school. Oh, I, did, I didn't know it was gonna be hard. Okay. First, <laughs> <Wow. laughs>
1: I think I think we should leave that in. kidding.
2: Uh, um.
1: Oh, awesome. Although
2: I was born and raised in St. Louis, I've had the pleasure of living in different parts of the country. And um but about sixteen years ago was able to move back here for 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 the last time per se. That was the last of my business moves. And um uh from a career standpoint, I've been in the packaging business for um about thirty-three years. And uh Okay. Um I do have a uh I, I like to joke with Bruce, I have a business degree from the University of Missouri, although I, um, I don't believe knowing what I know now that I sure learned what I needed to learn back then, uh, when I went to school, uh-huh. and,
1: uh, yeah. Sounds like you probably learned it more through the actual experience of working. Oh,
2: absolutely. Which- and then, uh, and then on the financial front, it was truly, you know, I learned a lot from, uh, um, from Bruce and the, the latter part of my, uh, or well, I should say the, where I am now in, in my life, the last few years is where I've learned the most from a financial perspective
1: um that's awesome So, Chuck, talk,
0: talk a little bit that's about awesome. your um your contribution because you are a great saver this is one of the things rachel we always talk about that uh privatized banking builds habits and chuck mm-hmm. is a great saver i mean he's raised three boys he put them through college um and i believe it's correct chuck without any debt for the for the boys uh
2: minimal i okay. uh, i i mean minimal being a couple of thousand dollars I, I felt it was important oh, wow. for all of them to have a little skin in the game, so to speak. So they um, they all took out a, a very small amount of, you know, small being relative, of course, but like less than 5,000. But once they graduated, um, Tracy and myself uh, helped them pay that back. But I, I wanted them to have a little skin in the game. Um, yeah, I, I have been a saver uh, most of my life, primarily in the, in the 401k. And, uh, you know, I used to pride myself that, And uh, I've never, ever dipped into the 401k from when I first started contributing, which was probably in the 80s. So um, uh, it was just a mindset. But it was also, I I knew in my own mind that that was really the only place I was saving for retirement. So I was uh, cognizant not to touch it.
0: So talk about um, as being a father um, and your your boys, who I obviously know, and you said that and you have some grandkids now, and and I know Tracy wants to have a lot more grandkids, yes. along yeah, the way. yeah. Uh, but but talk about how you know, I know you've passed away uh, some of your thinking to towards them, or um, they don't always accept it like most kids do, but talk about the the transformation and what you're trying to pass on to them, not only maybe monetarily but also wisdom wise and and how they're accepting it or not accepting it. Just talk a little bit about
2: that, yeah. Um, the, uh, the one thing that, that, um, I try to focus on, especially with my son, my oldest son, his name's Brian. Um, and he and his wife, Aaron, and my two grandkids, Amelia and Isaac, but to Brian, especially who already has children, I try to go back and teach him things that I've learned that I, that in many cases, I wish I would have taught him. One of the things is from a parental perspective, and Rachel, you might appreciate this: is is to Mm -hmm. always be looking for teachable moments. And as a you know, as as a dad, oh yeah, I wish I would have done that more often. uh, Is to look for those teachable moments and just let them know, let the child know at the time, or the teenager, however old they may be, or in the case of Brian, who's who's uh, 31 years old now. Hey, this is a teachable moment. So you know, listen here. Um, but even going back to kids to, to look for those and let them know that you're imparting some wisdom on them here. So obviously it's up to them whether they accept or not, but I, I do that a lot with Brian. Um, and so he can drive home that point with his, his kids. Now thinking they're only four and two, but you know, as they get a little older, look for those moments and let them know you're teaching them. Um, you know, it's at this, at this point in my life, Bruce and Rachel, I'm a, um, I'm really interested in passing along to, to all my kids um, anything I can do that will help them and my grandkids, uh, especially in, in the context of what we're talking about today financially. I mean, that's just one of the things I want to talk with them about. Of course, there are other parts of life too, but financially, I want to ensure that they have the best opportunity to have the best financial lives they, ha- they can have.
0: You know that's this is Rachel this is what I want the listeners to really think about is you know you and I I hope don't come across that we know everything um, but I think the one thing that and I think this has hit home with not only Chuck but a lot of other of my clients over the years is that the number one thing is a is you have to be able to adjust your financial life and the only way you can adjust your financial life is if you have control of your finances and it's It's not that stocks, bonds, and mutual funds are necessarily bad, um, but we do believe that people don't have education about that. And when you don't have education, you feel like you're out of control. Now, when we do talk about qualified money, and for our listeners, once again, qualified money is tax-deferred money, so IRAs, 401Ks, 403Bs, 457s, uh, tax-deferred annuities, so on and so forth, uh, we're not saying that if if you've saved in those particular vehicles, that was necessarily bad. But the problem is if you put all your eggs in that particular basket, then you've lost control. And over my particular years, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I've seen a lot of clients who have actually been financially ruined in certain situations because they have. So Chuck has contributed in, in those particular things and it's, it's served him well. And, uh, he has not had to, you know, borrow, borrow against his 401k or, or actually, uh, he actually moved from, um, from uh, different employers, so he had opportunities to move it to an IRA, um, which he could have then taken the penalty, which we've talked about on other shows. Um, so, when we're talking about this, I think with the theme that's going to come up all the time when we have guests is about being in control, and and that's I think is one of the oh, things yeah. you're you're trying to show your 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 sons is that uh, you should be a lifelong learner about how finances work. Um, because,
1: which Bruce, I'm sure that you could easily make this point right now. And maybe I'm stealing the words out of your mouth, but Chuck, you've clearly demonstrated that you are a lifelong learner. And that's why you're sitting here today with, um, having a mindset shift and you being teachable is what then allows you to be able to teach your kids and teach them how to be teachable, which oh, absolutely. I absolutely, And, uh,
2: uh, you know, part of what I, what I hope comes from, from this particular podcast as others you know, like unlike a lot of the other guests you've had on your show, you know, I'm, I consider myself more of a normal guy. I don't have a great story to tell. I didn't go from rags to riches, didn't start a great business. I'm really just an average Joe. Um, and, uh, but, but I've, I've learned so much and it's caused me to change the way I view things. And, uh, you know, I was just indoctrinated, I think at an early age by, I don't know, by friends, by the, brokerage company I might have been using that, you know, hey, the 401k is it. You know, you you need to be in a 401k mm-hmm. and rely on it. And, and again, like Bruce and, and you have said before, 401ks aren't bad, but it's, it's not, right. you know, if that's all you're in, if that's all you're focusing on, I think you're short-sighting yourself. So let's transition to a little
0: bit about talking about where you, your financial goals when you were trying to accumulate money. And I know you mentioned retirement as being one. So just go down that road, you know, what, what did money mean to you early on? And what were your goals?
2: Well, my goals were quite honestly, as we, Tracy, Tracy and myself wanted to be able to put our kids through school and not come out with a lot of debt, uh, really any debt. But as I mentioned earlier, we, we did ask them all to put a little, a little in, um, but they all have graduated school with virtually no debt at all. That was really our goal. We wanted to do that. We also wanted to be able to, to go on some, uh, um, some trips, uh, so we've we've had the kids, you know, on some some pretty good vacations. I think they would look back and say that uh, just to experience some of the you know the joys that uh, that life has to offer. Um, and in terms of longer term, I think it was really just you know I didn't have any goals. I just was like I'm going to put what I can to the 401k, and I'm going to use the word hope. That's enough when the uh, when the end came and meaning when I wanted to retire, that mm-hmm. I had enough. My, I should say my wife works part-time, uh, just a couple of days a week. And uh, so we really rely mostly on my income from a retirement perspective.
0: So I know you didn't have any specific goals at the time, but so then talk to the listeners about how you came across this idea of being in control and privatized banking.
2: Yeah, it's, it's actually a really funny story. Um, I, at one point my uh, my wife and I thought, we were uh, we're going to establish a trust for um, well for the reasons people establish trust. So I went to a local lawyer where I live, and uh, during the course of the conversation, he actually talked me out of the trust. Now, subsequently, we we've we've purchased a trust, but but during the during that course of the conversation, he mentioned an alternative to the trust. I, I believe that's how it came about. I don't recall one hundred percent was was privatized banking, and he says, "Hey." you know, you should read this book by this guy named Nelson Nash. And I'd never heard of Nelson Nash. Mm. Uh, sure didn't hear of privatized banking. Again, everything I, everything I was doing was with a you know, major brokerage firm and privatized banking or Nelson Nash was never brought up to me by them, nor did I ever go online and do any other research. Um, the funny story was, um, you know, I knew Bruce was, uh, was in the financial business. But quite honestly, again, for as long as we've been friends, I really felt that Bruce primarily dealt with the world of educators and, you know, teaching, helping teachers work through the, uh, the, the maze of the pension program and whatever they do with that. Um, but a conversation, I said, hey, Bruce, have you ever heard of this guy named Nelson Nash? And you just smiled at me. Well, my you just opened dad, the can of worms it right said, there. <laughs> well, I've not only heard of them, I've met them. And um, so that was the beginning of my uh, foray into the uh, world of privatized banking.
0: Well, so this is, uh, you know, yeah, Rachel, I hope awesome. it comes across with our listeners. You know, I'm, I'm proud of what we do and I'm proud of what I do, but I'm not a guy that goes around and just tries to convince everybody to come work with me. I mean, here's, the, here's somebody that I've known since 1982, mm-hmm. and, and we do a lot of things socially. And, um, you know, but yet I just I don't want to talk shop, you know, with my friends and family. Now, I since, you know, since my uh, Chuck's actually really helped me with this because um, he probably doesn't even realize I might be exposing him to this for the first time. But I, I've decided that the that I need to really start exposing more friends and family to what I do, because if I'm really proud of what I do and I believe in what I do, then why should I not be exposing my friends and family to what I do? I mean, this is ridiculous. Um, you know, but we're often, mm-hmm. my style always was, you know, I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to actually feel like they, they have to work with me. I want them to make that, that decision for themselves. So when, um, when Chuck asked me about this and then we started talking about his other aspects and just, and just so people know, he also had, his person was kind of retiring at that time so he was tr- just asking me for some advice on this and that and we and we started talking and it and i i talked talked about e3's philosophy and then thus the money advantage philosophy and it was just kind of like i think chuck like why matter of fact chuck i think there was a little bit of, uh, uh, at a time about the second or third time we met it was like why hasn't anybody else ta- 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 oh, okay. told me about this stuff and it was a little irritant about that. Can you talk a little bit about
2: that? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, you know, you didn't expose me to it and you know, you didn't want to, you know, you didn't you never really asked me about my finances and all of our 35 years plus of friendship. I look back on it now and I want to, you know, grab you by the Damn. by the neck and say, Why didn't you say something to me, Bruce? But <laughs> I understood it. Um oh, but wow. but you know, Bruce is you know what I the thing about Bruce um is He's a, he's a really a man of integrity and his friends and all of his peers would tell you that. So when Bruce did start delving into this part of my life with me, I trusted him a hundred percent because of the, because of the background I had with Bruce. And I knew, I knew that he would steer me oh, and, and Tracy in the, in the, uh, in the right way. Um, so, Yeah.
1: Wow, that's just really powerful in general. I mean, thinking about how do we communicate best about this? I mean, some people are looking for ways to control their finances more. Some people are open-minded. Some people have heard about privatized banking. Um, But what just a powerful message to be able to get this out and and help other people really teach them what the options are so that they can be in control. So thank you, um, Chuck, for- for being willing so, to help so Rachel, us now that we're in a hug today.
0: fest uh, with Chuck, <laughs> well, one of the things I've always been in my, I, <laughs> I admire him is he's very humble and he, you know, he doesn't think he has, you know, uh, any special skills, but he is, he is one of the greatest communicators, which makes him a great salesperson. And he's been at the top of his, uh, his profession for many, many years. And I think that's probably because he's also a lifelong learner when it comes to his profession and how to deal with people and how to deal with sales processes and so on and so forth. And so when he dove into this, he it wasn't just that he read Nelson's book and he read, you know, um, our book and so on and so forth. I know he has consumed information over and over and over again. So Chuck, won't you talk a little bit about some of the consumption of information that you've
2: yeah, I mean, as as uh, as much as I trust Bruce, and you know, and I do, I do. I just trust Bruce. I needed to learn a lot more. So um, what what you were good at, Bruce, was you gave me a number of different places to go and learn about about Nelson, about privatized banking. I bet I read no less than five or six, may, maybe close for seven or eight different magazines, books. Uh, Anything I could get my hands on off, you know, things on the internet, anything I could get my hands on. So we even went to uh, Chicago to take a trip up to, uh, to learn more about it. I went with Bruce, but I, I actually even, um, I, at this point I was thinking I really need to get my boys more involved in this or or to better educate them. So uh, at my expense, I flew my son from, from, excuse me, from Florida up to Chicago. And we attended that seminar that was put on by by Bob and Carlos. And, uh, um, so I, I, again, I just felt it was important. I learned as much as I could about it.
0: Yeah. One of the things I think that, uh, that particular trip did was to solidify. One of the things with privatized banking is, is Nelson was always about getting the banks completely out of your, um, completely out of your life. Now, Nelson died, at, um, I believe, 87 or 88. And, you know, I knew him since 2009. And he would pull me off to the side and he would, you know, he would call the bank uh, snakes. And, you know, I maybe wasn't as rough about it, but, and also what Nelson would say is, now Bruce, it it took me a long time to actually get the banks completely out of my life. So, you know, it was, I think he was sixty in his sixties when he actually got the, what he calls snakes out of his life. But Carlos and, and Bob then exposed people to, to how they have a book that says how privatized banking really works. And that's not what we're talking about privatized banking, but actually how the banking system works. And so during these, these live educational seminars, they're really trying to show that the United States is going down a path that is not necessarily the the best situation. And so if we can actually control more of our money instead of storing it in, in banks, we may not be going through uh, what possibly could go through like they did in Greece and Crete where they actually froze assets in a bank. Now, people think that, oh, maybe we're fear-mongering here. And I'm not saying this is going to happen, although in in Greece and Crete, the, what happened there is actually what caused the Dodd-Frank and, and Carlos Lara is actually an expert on this. The Dodd-Frank bill to that actually says the next time we have a financial crisis in the United States, there will be actually be a bail-in, not a bail-out. And that simply means a bail-in is that we will become, um, if you have money in the bank, you would actually become IOUs to the bank. And so that, um, that not storing as much money in the bank is, is a, probably a good thing. So having that additional information, whether it happens or not, it keeps you the flexibility. So Chuck, knowing all that now, so now you've done your research and blah, 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 and we got you set up with um, a policy. And subsequently, you've also started a couple of policies on the, uh, your grandchildren to help them with their um, their saving habits in the future and, and save for college. Uh, why did you start the privatized banking and how are you actually using it right now?
2: well um that's a that's a a, a a simple question uh it's somewhat of a complicated answer uh but maybe an easy answer at the same time um, i started using it because i i started to fully grasp the benefits of privatized banking um and and at a high level those were i could control money um I, I had control over my, over my money, unlike the 401k. And I guess what it boils down to for me, that's what I was comparing it to, was I was either going to put money in a 401k or I was going to put it in um, in, in, a, in a privatized banking. Um, I was either going to do the equity side of the things or the privatized banking, equities being which 401ks are all in really nothing but equities. So um, once I did the research and came up with all of the the – the the attributes of the specially designed life insurance contract, it was really almost a no brainer that I was going to start directing a lot more funds into that area. Um, and so I, I did it for, I liked the control uh, that I have with the money. I like the fact that when I withdrew, when I with, when I would borrow against the money I already had, which was my own, I still was getting paid interest and dividends on that money uh, now again, I had to I had to pay interest back on that loan, but the way I looked at it, Bruce and Rachel was I'm really giving myself an interest free loan, and with that money I could do whatever I wanted to do with it. Um, I like that part of it, and and let's face it, at the age of 58 too, I was also thinking the the death benefit is there, uh, which would be you know obviously extremely helpful to my wife and then ultimately to my kids.
1: Well, I love that um, Bruce. I'll just cut in for a second here because I really love. Chuck, that you didn't just rely on Bruce or one person or even a whole company to direct and lead you. You said, Hey, how can I really take ownership of my own financial life? How can I be in control? And that control doesn't happen by handing your money over to someone else or just doing everything that they say, even if it is doing privatized banking. And I love that you not only led the way and modeled that personal education, but taking a lot of responsibility for your life and where you were going and making sure that you felt comfortable with your decisions. So- yeah,
2: and, and I will say this, Rachel, and I've probably said it before, and that's, again, one of the reasons I, I'm excited to do the podcast, is it's my perception that that the vast majority of individuals in my situation, and, and really the vast majority of Americans, have just been, I'm going to use that word, indoctrinated, in the 401k is that's the way you've got to go. Oh, sure. you know, All right. I'll, I'll put it this way Our equities are the way you got to go. It's either stocks bonds or putting into a you know cash CD or something like that. And you know what I hope comes across in this is there is more out there, folks. You just have to you just have to go out and do a little research on your own. Um, it doesn't take uh, somebody with you know a, a lot of uh, degrees to uh, to grasp this. I am not by any means a financial wizard. I still come back to Bruce. Sometimes I feel, I feel bad. I know I've asked him this question before, but I didn't remember the answer. So I'll come back and ask him again. Um, But, but you don't have my, my question, my point is you don't have to be a financial wizard to grasp this. You just have to put a little time into it. But I just, I just think society, and I know I'm kind of getting a little outside the realm, but I just think society is so beat on us that 401ks are the way you should go. And, and I would just sit here and tell you, no, it can be a part of your overall strategy. Absolutely. And again, the 401k has worked for me, but um, I don't believe it has worked. It would have been better had I had I diversified a little bit with more of this privatized banking.
0: Well, I think what the, the things that we have talked about in the past is that, um, you know, you get un- uninterrupted compounded growth um, when you borrow against your money, Um when you have the 401k or an IRA, you have that ten percent um, penalty that a lot of people, you know, we did the we did the podcast Rachel where uh, five point seven billion dollars was actually um, taken out early in 2000, I believe it was 2011, right after the financial oh. crisis. Chuck also liked the fact, and we we tout this all the time, is that interest and dividends through uh, mutual companies were paid even through the great depression and the great recession Mm -hmm. where you can't say that about having uh, money in the stock market. So there are a lot of things that are, um, as we keep continue to tout um, that, that Chuck found really, really uh, appealing. But the, but the one thing that now you're using Chuck is you're actually using the money from the privatized banking to get into other uh, cash flowing uh, entities. So can you talk a little bit about
2: that? I, I sure can. Um, and again, I have, I really have Bruce, you and Rachel to thank for this as well, because the um, uh, you've had a number of people on that have talked about uh, investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we call them, you call them turnkey, where you right. use the, yeah. you know, those firms that go and and buy homes, uh, they they renovate them. They market them, they sell them, and then more the importantly, they they manage the property. Mm-hmm. So uh, early on, you had one with Spartan Investments um, out of Birmingham, and I uh, I reached out to the lady after I heard after I heard her podcast, and subsequently, I have purchased a home through Spartan. It's in Birmingham, Alabama. Never seen it, um, and uh, but it's it's worked out well, That's and awesome. uh, and I am I am had another podcast from a company out of Memphis called Mid South. I believe that's what their mm-hmm. name was, Mid South. Yeah. yeah, and um, they are again. I, I will tell you, they are they like like Spartan, but Mid South must be so good. I I want to buy a home from them, but I'm now nine months into their waiting list. Oh wow! So um, they they are uh, you know they they don't have enough homes to put with investors. But I used. The, the money down I took out of my privatized banking to use it as my down payment for the home. I think that's where you're going with. Right. How I would use it. And um, uh, and again, I'm I'm anxious to uh, to um, be able to uh, to purchase another home. I will share with you that um, uh, another thing I learned from your podcast is that if we can digress into the rich rich dad poor dad. Uh, I believe that's the first time I ever heard of the book was on one of your podcasts. I don't know which oh, wow. one it was, um, but I read the book. And, and again, I wanted to go back to Bruce and put my hand around his neck and say, why didn't you have me read this book earlier, Bruce? Um, <laughs> but but um, that was a very, very impactful book on me. And the first thing I did after I read it was I went out and I bought three copies. And again, I sent it to all my kids. Nice. And I said, as opposed to you getting me a, Birthday gift this year or Father's Day, whenever it might have been, my gift is I want you to read this book. Oh, and so it. we've all read it. Um, my youngest is about ready to go in with me on a, on a home as well. So, um, but that's again, I, I I really owe it to you guys that and to to, uh, to thank you for the introduction into real estate.
0: And the great thank thing, Chuck, know. is that I'm. Um, This is one of the harder things. And Rachel, you and I have to do more and and bring some more CPAs on and talk about this is, you know, I am not saying that, uh, I've owned rental real estate off and on, you know, over my career and rented out houses in St. Louis and my old house in San Diego and, you know, Arizona and, and, uh, had, had another one in downtown St. Louis and so on and so forth. But, and there are trials and tribulations with renting real estate. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, you have to worry about maintenance costs. You have to worry about getting a renter in. But the one thing that you don't have to worry about is actually getting tax benefits from it, and that's one of the greatest things about it. So people look at cash flow, um, cash on cash returns, and even in times that are bad, you're going to get ca- you're going to get tax benefits that unless somebody can actually show you those, a lot of times tax preparers they just show you the bottom line. So we need to have more people understand the tax benefits. So even when they go through the trials and tribulations of the ups and downs of of having renters, uh, they, right. they're realizing they're still getting cash flow in the, in the form of tax benefits from it. And so I think it's- Right. You still have the
1: depreciation. You still have the cash flow income. You still right. have the equity appreciation. You still have just so much that is happening in a hedge against inflation because you can usually raise rents within- the the property itself. So there's just a lot of advantages that you're getting inside of real estate that if you had your money locked up in a 401k and you still were employed with that employer, then in order to be able to invest in real estate, you may not even be able to access that cash without paying the penalties, paying the fees, and then possibly not even being able to get access to enough to be able to put it to work for you in that way in the first place, right? Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, I think, I don't know this is going to probably air, this podcast is probably going to air in the fall sometime. Um, but Chuck and I are actually going to a um, the lawyer to actually look at the proper way to uh, set up his operating agreement with his son. And this is just another example of, of Chuck passing on his wisdom and and uh, financial uh, literacy to his son. And this is also what we've talked about on, a, on podcasts before, because we talk about, rags to rags in three generations. So, you know, Chuck, Chuck and his wife have done, Tracy have done a great job of saving over the time, over, over their lifetime. They would like to pass along as many assets as they can to the next generation. But if they don't give financial literacy to the next generation, then by the time that uh, those assets get to the grandkids, it's been shown over and over again that the illiteracy is gone and, and everything that Chuck and Tracy worked uh, for it actually gets, uh, goes kaput. It goes uh, away. Right. So one of our, right. our focus is going to be to continue to, to, and we do this with all our clients, is to continue to, to try to go from one generation to the next for financial literacy so we can continue to build um, some assets along the way and privatized banking as a way to actually hedge against making mistakes. I mean, I don't think people realize that the Rockefellers who are, 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 great uh, friend, Garrett Gunderson, you know, they were able to keep their wealth passed from generation to generation because they always set up life insurance, properly designed life insurance on family members. So even if they messed up the passing of assets, when that person would die, the assets would get filled, the buckets would get filled back up. Where the Vanderbilt's Mm -hmm. who who are rich at the beginning of the turn of the century, just as the Rockefellers were, the last one has just Basically, died that had any assets, and and they did not do this. So I think uh, one of the things that we're trying to get across in the podcast it's it's not only about passing assets to the next generation, but financial literacy literacy to the next generation.
1: Which, Chuck, I hear that you're doing a fantastic job of doing that, and I think it starts with that heart and desire to be able to pass on that legacy of wisdom, not just. Yeah,
2: I, I think that's true with 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 any dad, of course, and and uh, you know. I, Again, I, I want to be clear. I'm I, growing up. I made a number of mistakes with the kids too, but you know, at this point in my life, passing along wisdom is is the best gift I can give them. You know, they may say, of course, it's money, but you know, I think it's it's wisdom is that what I can give them. And if I could just touch on the real estate just for a second too, um, real estate, I, I view it as just an additional diversification for me um, in terms of my overall strategy. And, and sometimes it might throw people off, but I, I will share with you, like the home I bought in Birmingham was, was really, was right at a hundred thousand dollars. So it's not, you know, and I had to put 20% down since it's an investment property. So again, I know it's relative for people, but it's, it's not a large amount of cash outlay that one has to do to get started. Um And if you look into the returns from some of those turnkeys. Again, there are risks. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I, I just want to stress that you don't need a lot, a lot of money, and you, you don't have to be sitting on millions of dollars to get into real estate, and uh, and just do your research on it, and use it as again one more time as a as a way of another way of diversifying your overall financial goals.
0: You know, Rachel, that's a, I'm so glad you said that, Chuck, because we talk about assets are not correlated to the stock market, and so. What you hear in the, in, the, um, in the securities world is about diversification. They're talking about diversifying among different uh, classes of mutual funds or stocks mm-hmm. or bonds. Yeah. And what's interesting is a lot of times that the mutual funds have the same stocks in them, even though they're different mutual funds. And um, it's really an eye-opener when we show our clients They say, well, I have a bunch of different mutual funds, so I'm diversified. Then then we show that the holdings are about 90% the same in a a Vanguard mutual fund or an American funds mutual fund or a T. Rowe Price mutual fund. And so it's really eye-opening. So when you do other things like um, specially designed life insurance as an asset class and you do real estate as an asset class. Now you're truly diversifying in a business. If you start a business, mm-hmm. you're, truly, you're truly diversifying your, your own personal assets so that you can weather any kind of um, economic storm that may come tomorrow or may come 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years from now.
1: Absolutely. Because if you're diversified within the stock market and holistically the whole stock market crashes, you're still at risk. So really diversifying across multiple asset classes is exactly a way to make sure you're hedging against that.
0: So as we continue on this, um, this great podcast, a new type of podcast for, for us, um, what would you say, Chuck is uh, what kept you from doing privatized banking other than, you know, your um, me not exposing <laughs> it to you. Um, and I know it's a difficult question again, but um, I guess I, I guess what kept you from looking at other things besides a four hundred one k might be an, an yeah. easier way to go about this.
2: Yeah, um, it, what kept me from looking at something other than a four hundred one k was just my assumption that that was the one and only way to invest for for retirement. And I honestly, I had n- no one had ever approached me about you know the point you just made, Rachel and Bruce, about diversification. You know, diversification was maybe some in stocks and some in bonds and some in cash. But to the point you just made, Rachel, if the market crashes, it's all going to go down. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's really that simple. I just was I just assumed that well, being in the 401k and having some in, you know, uh, fund X and some in fund Y was my way of maybe a little in bonds was a, my way of diverse, diversification. And why I never use privatized banking, it's quite simple. I, it's, I never heard of it. No one had ever mentioned it to me, and um, I'd like to think had I learned about it earlier, uh, I sure would have used it. In fact, that's one of the things we talked about, Bruce. And I know you said that other clients did it too. Once I learned about it, I, I really started feeling—I almost—I almost want to say guilty or, or shameful that I didn't do something earlier. But here's again, here's my message to the to the average Joe like me. Okay, I can't go back and do anything different. All I can do is start now, and I can start help educating my kids and others, and you know through this podcast. Yeah,
0: I I I say this to my clients all the time. They say, uh, "Well, am I too old to start this?" Or I want to do this, but I'm not sure yet. And I say, "Well, let's just make sure we're not saying the same things ten years from now." Um, That you Mm -hmm. say, "Oh, now am I really not too old to do this?" And uh, should I have done this ten years uh, ago? So. As we move along,
1: well, the best time—the best time—is always now to be able to move forward. And whenever we come across that new information that contradicts or opens our eyes to maybe something that we didn't make a wise choice before, it's not for the purpose of beating ourselves up about it, but really to be able to move forward. I want to add
2: one more thing here too. Um, When I broached the uh, the firm I was using about moving away. And into privatized banking, I don't believe they had ever heard of it. And this was a major brokerage firm. And I mentioned, uh, you know, a specially designed life insurance policy, or I don't know the exact words I used, but, but the only thing that this gentleman picked up on was life insurance. Oh, well, it's, just, it's just life insurance. And I, 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 I really want to get across on this podcast, it's not just life insurance. You know, you guys have done a great job explaining the different types of life insurance contracts you have. I mean, I still have a, I still have a term policy that I got into eight or nine years ago that, you know, will eventually expire, but, um, it's just not life insurance. So when you, when you approach, if you go to a financial investor and you say specially designed life insurance, you've just got to be certain that they don't get hung up on the words life insurance because it's not a normal policy. It's how, hence it's called specially designed. I, I, Rachel, I often joke with Bruce, I wish there was a way it would be called specially designed something other than life insurance contract, you know, because life <laughs> insurance just, I think people come into it with a, with a, a kind of, you know, they, they have an assumption of what life insurance is, good or bad. And, and I think it, it would lead them to potentially move away from this because they don't fully grasp this is not your normal life insurance policy.
1: Well, I think maybe it was interesting that you were introduced to the idea of privatized banking or infinite banking. Do you think that was helpful to you rather than just somebody saying, "Hey, why don't you try oh, the absolutely. Life insurance?
2: Yeah because it, it, the lawyer himself made it that, that lawyer I talked about that first introduced me you know he gave me a five minute you know uh, lead into what it was about and he he was very clear that it was different and I had to learn about Nelson Nash and privatized banking. Oh, you know, awesome. I think of what
0: the lawyer, I this just, <clears throat> this hurt, hit me, <clears throat> excuse me, this hit me earlier. You know, he, he said, you know, you probably don't need a trust. And he was looking at it for, for asset protection, Rachel. So I bet you he said, Hey, why don't you take some of your money and put it into privatized banking? Cause you do get some asset protection over this. So I, I bet you that's where he was going. And actually Chuck and I uh, I've talked about actually going to the lawyer and 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 meeting him and talk to talk through this with him to see if we can you know help him maybe with his understanding a little better and also maybe expose more people to this um, uh, through the lawyer. So I think it'll be I think it's awesome. So uh, Chuck, so I know we talk about the money advantage and obviously your your um, you know the money advantage is an educational platform where we're actually trying to educate people. Um, Whoever wants to take some education and um, but why have you focused so much on consuming our information other than maybe being a friend? But uh, a friend can't consume 86 podcasts, I don't think, without actually thinking there's some value into it. Uh,
2: well, yeah, why <laughs> That's have a you great done question, that? Bruce. Uh, has it been 86 I've listened to? Wow. Well, I don't know when you've listened to 86, but I think we've done about 86. Know. Yeah, no, I've, I've, no, I've listened to every one of them. Um, I've got your intros memorized and your, uh, um, so your question is why would I,
0: yeah. Wh- what do, why do you find it valuable? Cause you've got to find it. You you have to find it valuable or yeah. you, like I said, the fr- your friendship only takes you so far. Right. So. so here
2: it is. Once, once I realized that I needed to learn more, um, I could do a lot of research on my own, and I did. But going back to a comment I made earlier, I am by no means anywhere close to being a financial expert. I needed to have a place to go to where I can get my specific questions answered. Um, it just so happened that I'm using you, um, and you're yeah, you're a, a longtime friend of mine, but had you not been in this business and you didn't know Nelson Nash, I still think I would have pursued it. With, with others. Again, the primary reason was I felt I owed it to myself, my wife, and my kids, and for that matter, my grandkids. I owed it to them to learn more. Um, what I like about the money advantage is you have given me choices to think about. And whether I execute those through Bruce, through you and, and your your the firm here at E3 or on my own, that's up to me. Um, like I'm you know, the real estate thing I'm doing is not through you at all. I just learned through, about it through you. But I, I, again, I, I, I'm, not, I'm really not on the show to promote the money advantage. Of course I am. I, I love it. I'm really here saying it again to promote people going out and doing the research. But when doing that research, you're still going to need some help. And if you go back to my, my warning would be if you go back to a traditional, you know, uh, large brokerage firm associate, and ask them for advice, you're probably not going to get the real story. That may sound a little cynical, but that's just my past.
0: Well, Rachel, I think one of the reasons, Chuck, one of the reasons for this, and, and we've touted this over and over, whenever you're looking at trying to make a decision, you always have to say what's in it for them. Rachel and I, we challenge our listeners all the time to say, hey, why, why listen to Rachel and Bruce? You know, what's in it for them? Well, obviously, we have, we're have it. we trying to build a business, we have our own businesses on the side we're, we're trying to do this through education, but if you want to take this education and go somewhere else, we'll help you with that. I mean, we, we've, we've done that. And we're not trying to act like we're saints or anything, but it's just, it's just our style and how, how you do it. So when you're, when you're talking to somebody about money, I always say the, there's, there's a couple of things you got to uh, think about, think about, um, are they trying to get your money in a systematic way? And a systematic way would be, and, and I'm not even, I'm talking about like a gym membership, you know, a systematic way. Or are they taking it out of your, your accounts systematically over and over and over? So your paycheck stub, your checking account, are they doing that over and over and over? And the reason they do that, cause they know human nature says that people won't change those things. Then are they giving you as many options as possible? That's the second thing you, you should think about. And then finally, you should think about is, when you ask for your money back, is it trouble to get it back? And are they going to trickle it back to you slowly and, and easily? Or are they going to, tr- uh, are slowly and more difficult? Or are they going to give it to you? Um, in as whenever you want and very, very quickly. So you have to ask those questions on any financial uh, organization that you, you do. Um, so as we, Rachel, I think this has been a really good uh, podcast. It's why, once again, it's a, it's a different type of podcast than we've done. Um, but I really think that as we go forward and bring more and more people on, whether they have used us or used other people before in the past, this is going to be the type of podcast. I think that people are going to find value and get them to move forward. Going back to, um, I know what I was going to say. <laughs> Going back to what Chuck said earlier and and what I said earlier about um, when Nelson was a forester. Nelson Nash was a forester. People might not know this, but he was trained in forestry. And that's why he was such a great insurance person, because insurance people, they're not like stocks, stock people. And they worry, stock people only worry about the next quarter. Corporations only, and Chuck's worked for different corporations. They only worry about the next quarter to keep their stock prices up. So foresters though, because a tree and to to cut down to use for wood might take 70 years. So they actually are looking long-term insurance companies have long-term commitments, which are death benefits. So they're looking long-term. They're not doing things on a whim. So we, earlier we said, what's the best time to um, buy or put your money into a Special Design Life Insurance, it would have been 10 years ago. What's the second best time? Today. Mm -hmm. Nelson used to say the same thing about trees. When's the best time to plant a tree? 10 years ago. When's the second best time? Today. So as we wrap up kind of this this new type of podcast we're doing, I'd I'd just like to thank Chuck for coming in today and uh, sharing uh, his experience. He's taking his time, and I know his time is valuable. He travels a lot. But is there is there any kind of uh like final uh comment, question, or anything you want to share, uh Chuck, with our listeners today?
2: Um well, first of all, Bruce and Rachel, thank you for having me on. This is the first and probably the last podcast I'll ever do, but it uh it was it's been a lot of fun it? Yeah. It's uh it's been a lot of fun. And I just would encourage people to uh to listen. To think a little bit outside the box and don't rely on, on you know, just, just because it's always been done that way, it must be the right way to do it. Um, I, I, you know, you're going to hear it at the end of this podcast, Rachel, but you say it every week and I think about it all the time. Success leaves clues. Model the successful few and not the crowd. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I have that memorized because I've heard it a lot, but it's so true. And I just would encourage people to uh, uh, to do a little work. And um, uh, it's never too late to uh, to start.
1: Thank you guys so much. This has just been really, really exciting. And I'll just um, put a, a cap on the end of this. And Bruce, you mentioned what's in it for them. And really, when it really comes down to it, the reason I would say that we're educating anyone through this Money Advantage podcast is really because we believe in being in control of your financial future. We really believe in people taking back control so that they can live out their dreams, so that they can be the people that they want to be and not be beholden to some other system or, or incapacitated or shortchanged because their money is tied up in someone else's control. And so when it comes down to it, really privatized banking is something that we believe in with all of our hearts, because we've seen it work in our own personal lives. And we just want to be able to share that message with as many people as possible. And Chuck, thank you so much for being part of sharing that with the world today. This has been extremely valuable. So I will say in closing, now you're going to hear it twice today. Remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love.